That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Fobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Okay, welcome to another episode of that naturopathic podcast. Clean shaven Dr. David Miller here. And, and uh blow dried hair, Dr. Michelle, finally. Nice. I get sometimes I get lazy by the end of the week and I just want to throw it in a ponytail. Oh, we look good right now. We look good right now. But we for do. those just listening, you're just you're just gonna have to believe us. Like uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah. you don't get to benefit from our suave <laughs> and debonair appearances today. I only Sorry, got a guys. couple more years left, I think, of looking half decent. So anyway, oh my god, that sounds so um, that's ridiculous. Why are we starting like this? We're going to talk about something way more important than vanity. Uh, vanity. Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about, Michelle? We're going to talk about just some simple tests that Dave and I do to help us understand whether or not stomach acid function is optimal and part of yeah. what we need to suss out for people's symptom presentation. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to admit uh, that I'm clinically using this in pretty much 100% of all new patients and patients I haven't seen in a while, really trying to optimize uh, stomach acid. Imagine me talking about the stomach again, eh? That's crazy. Wow. Oh my God. You know what though? I I get it because, you know, as we've talked about when it comes to stomach, the organ function in previous episodes, and please go back and listen to some of them because they're very, very uh, chock full of awesome information about stomach function and the purpose of it. Um, But we've talked about vagus nerve and how it's so intimately connected with your stomach and the parasympathetic responses and people are stressed the hell out these days. And it feels like, I mean, yes, I'm getting people coming to see me with digestive concerns overtly, but I'm also getting people who are getting referred by other clients I've worked with, but they don't necessarily have a digestive complaint, but I'm always like, is your stomach really working? Cause they're seeing, they're seeing undigested food particles. They feel heavy after eating or tired after eating. They're burping a lot. There's this, there's this. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's actually probably much more common than I think people realize, or even we always prioritize because they're coming with all these other issues right so yeah no it's um it's and it's because um the more you know about the stomach the you know the more you're kind of looking out for it Mm. i guess um here's some i'm just going to quick go through some what i call stomach signs okay just because that gives some maybe some relevance as to why we're and some of these are like really well known by everyone and some of them are maybe more uh the the musings of uh dr dave in bruce county ontario canada doing his best uh to be a stomach whisperer but here we go Okay, so difficulty digesting uh, heavy meals, proteins, meats, excessive flatus, malodorous flatus. Flatus for in the common language is farting, by the way, (laughs) in the common tongue. (laughs) Look, any chance I can say flatus, I'm going to take it. I know, you're so fancy, Dave. Yeah, fancy flatus, uh, 
appetite really increased or really decreased or only can eat small meals, uh, those who know Chinese medicine will see these, a lot of these symptoms look like stomach yin deficiency, um, stomach fire, stomach, uh, what is there, stomach chi deficiency, there's going to be small overlap there. Dry mouth, probably related to the um, vagal input and output that uh, Michelle was talking about. Hmm. Post-nasal drip allergies, couples, what I think are very closely related to stomach signs, maybe because of the esophagus being so close to the uh, to the uh, trachea, but um, that's just a, something I see. Burping, which I think Michelle already talked about. Um, feeling of something stuck in the throat, uh, glopus hystericus. Globus hystericus. Um, so like that feeling of a frog in your throat kind of thing. Remember the what I say is the the throat or the esophagus is the stomach's bitch, right? So if you got like throat or stomach signs, it's really it's probably just bitch. doing whatever. <laughs> you'll remember it this way, guys. Now we have to say that this is R-rated or whatever, but whatever, you'll remember it now. Like zinc for your dink, right? You got to play with this stuff if you can. Anyway, uh, issues swallowing liquids or foods. Uh, some common ones that everyone probably know about heartburn, regurgitation, uh, reflux, uh, metallic or sour, other strange taste in the mouth. Again, uh, you can look to TCM for some, uh, some uh, uh, background there. They say rotten taste in the mouth. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting one. Recurrent ear infections. Uh, and they have found H. pylori in uh, the ear canal, uh, which is really interesting. But I Bloating wonder if that's after- also... I wonder if that's also, sorry, not to cut you off, but I wonder if that's also because your stomach acid is like your first line of defense for any infection. So you just might have an underlying vulnerability that makes your body have these. Don't get too deep. This is a list, Michelle. I'm sorry. I'm just, well, you said about the H. pylori. So I'm just elaborating. I don't, okay. We're almost done. Okay. (laughs) Bloating, bloating after eating. Um, the people that feel better fasting, basically, if you feel better when you don't eat, it implies yeah. that your stomach hurts when it eats. It's like, yeah. man, that's some basic shit, but um, I don't hear many people talking about it. Uh, history of anemia, history of iron deficiency. Yes, those those are two of the ways that <clears throat> I recently uh, came about uh, the conclusion that I must optimize stomach acid in everyone because it's, it's hard to treat iron deficiency and anemia without uh, proper stomach acid. Uh, hoarseness. Uh, frequent clearing, hawking in the throat, often with mucus, bad breath, laryngitis, rhinitis, um, like runny nose, uh, chronic cough, and otitis media sinusitis. Um, there's my list of like stomach signs that are some are really well known and and some are um, maybe some insight there, hopefully. That's crazy. Do you know what's actually come up on my radar recently? And I actually have to look into this a little bit further because I think it's just more of a new side effect or complaint. Um, but I have a client, she's got major metabolic issues. And unfortunately she has been kind of not dealt with accordingly by the medical profession. And she just keeps being put on more and more medications. And now she's at her wits end mm-hmm. and her blood sugar still doesn't get regulated. Even though I've told her, I was like, please go back to your doctor and talk about these specific things. And they don't seem to care about it so much. So I'm like, okay, I don't really know what to do about that. Anyways. Um, she was recently put on Ozempic, the new fad mm-hmm. drug. Mm-hmm. And she was one of the people that immediately got symptoms of like nausea and vomiting, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of crazy vomiting. Mm-hmm. And uh, before our last follow-up, she ended up having some weird upper respiratory aspiration pneumonia and had to go on antibiotics. And she's like, what's going on? And I was like, this is wild. Is it from the vomiting you've had? Is your reflux worse? She's like, well, I came off of 
my proton pump inhibitors. She's like, and I actually felt better coming off of that. She's like, and I just decided to do it. Cause she's like, I knew it wasn't helping me even before the Ozempic came into the picture. And she's like, and that helped a bit. She's like, but I'm still feeling this. And then literally a few days ago, I started seeing all these headlines about Ozempic causing stomach paralysis and causing a whole bunch of poor digestive and people finding old digested food, like days old food in the stomach cavity in people taking Ozempic. Now, again, I have to look into this further, but I thought that was related to, to whole this thing because it's affecting stomach function. Um, and it also can contribute to upper mm. respiratory inf tract infection. So I told her she needs to go talk to her doctor to see if she, you know they could do something about this. But that's a new one. Stomach paralysis is a possible side effect from this medication causing nausea, vomiting, poor appetite, inability to eat Weird. food, and then finding old food days later in the stomach because it's not being digested. Isn't that Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not like, uh, you know, I'm not one to raise alarm bells or whatever, but it's hard not to think that, like I predict there's going to be some problems with the gratuitous and um, possibly uh, hyper- excited use yeah. uh, application of a uh, drug that mm, yeah it's probably gonna be really helpful for some people but it's just uh yeah i i, yeah. I, I predict i predict michelle yeah like uh, i predict some lawsuits because um you don't get something for nothing and no and I, but the, the thing as, is and it just popped in my mind because we're talking about this and i was like oh i need to share this because it's stomach function related the thing is it says it's a small percentage and i still want to look into this but it does look like it does seem to be a valid claim that they're starting to investigate further um and as it, i guess as this is being used more more people are going to start maybe voicing but i know people who are taking it who don't have this problem so it's not like it's yeah, wildly common but it is coming yeah, up yeah, and i yeah. just and i and of course my client was just put on it and she just had this myriad of symptoms and i was like okay so i think this yeah. is maybe you're the 1% that's maybe experiencing this and i was like it's crazy well, well like i said i said kind of surprising but now i think about it probably not surprising the more i know how the stomach is like a rate limiting or a quantity limiting step to appetite. Mm -hmm. I just talked to patients a lot about this recently, probably the last couple of weeks. I'm saying, look, if your stomach hurts, it's going to be one, like there's a lot of hormonal uh, contributors to appetite, which yeah. is how this drug works. Like Ozempic works. I, be, I yeah. believe it's a GLP-1 agonist or uh, something Semi like, I think that's what, Semiglutide? Yeah. And I think yeah. it, that's how it works is GLP agonism. So is that there's a hormonal regulation of appetite for sure. Absolutely. However, um, at least in terms of uh, a multifactorial approach to the ap clinical appreciation of appetite, uh, you know, as it occurs in someone's like subjective feeling, you have less appetite if your stomach hurts usually, or you have an appetite for frequent small um, meals. So the stomach itself as a container, as an anatomical like space does mm -hmm. limit appetite or has a massive influence on appetite. And I want yeah. everyone to know that because if you, if you really, really understand that, then you'll see if appetite is dysfunctional, like whether it's too much or too little, then there's probably some, uh, you know, nectar there if you treat the stomach appropriately. And the thing is, is like the function of the stomach, it's a vital organ. So when we screw yeah. around with it too much, one way or the other, whether it's the, the small percentage of people who have possible stomach paralysis or extreme nausea and vomiting, whatever from Ozempic or suppression of stomach acid function for proton pump inhibitors indefinitely, because you're not being put on it for a concise period of time and then trying al alternative therapies. 
it leads, this is going to have very long-term, this is going to have a ripple effect throughout the, how the rest of the body is able to show up. And it's just, it's unfortunate. So that's why we want to talk about, um, yet again, sup- understanding stomach function, because it is such an important part of how your body has to work as a cohesive, cohesive unit, cohesive mechanism of moving parts, I think is what I want to say. Yeah. And I didn't even get to, you know, I sort of went off in the weeds there with talking about the okay. stomach. Because I, I did want to follow up what you were saying about Ozempic and and how you know there's was now we can tag this podcast with Ozempic which would be great right because that's going to be good <laughs> anyway <laughs> the fact that Ozempic is affecting appetite what I was getting at with that long winded uh, stray there is that when you affect the uh, the appetite whether it's with semiglutide or or Ozempic or whatever it's probably going to have some serious impact on the stomach. Now, whether that, like you said, whether it's going to be good or, or bad. And, yeah, and, whether and it's minor or in some people, or, exactly. Yeah, we don't know, yeah. but it's yeah. going to affect it. I mean, if something affects appetite, trust me, it's affecting the stomach. That's probably what I should have said. And then it would have been a shorter episode. But anyways, yeah. Um, so uh, and I'm very curious to see what, what comes up from my clients. Yeah. Yeah. Might be with her doctor. Uh, cause she's like, I'm fed up. And I was like, uh, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, so I hope, I hope that there's a, the, the things are, there's some progress, uh, practical progress with how our, her situation is managed by her doctor and hopefully an endocrinologist is in the book soon so that we can start looking at some alternative options, which I've suggested actually. So we'll see, we'll see, but I'm curious and, so, I, and I hope that we can find a resolution, but uh, that was a new thing that came on my radar, stomach paralysis. And I was like, that's weird. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so p- part of my uh, recent, you know, new fascination in, in this uh, uh, using this clinically as a kind of almost like a protocol to go through with everyone to optimize stomach acid comes from the uh, my brain hurting from the idea that oftentimes a naturopathic doctor or a functional medicine doctor or whatever will give you hydrochloric acid in the form of betaine HCL tablets to optimize or increase the amount of acid in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And you will, you know, based on the assumption that, well, the knowledge that, because we did an episode on gastritis, half the world has gastritis. If the tissues are inflamed, they're not going to work properly. And so the parietal cells seem to be the ones that get beat up. They're the ones that make the hydrochloric acid. So they get tired and they don't make as much hydrochloric acid. So you actually have hypochlorhydria or too little stomach acid. Mm -hmm. And so the naturopath or whatever gives you more exogenous hydrochloric acid so that you can digest your food better. Makes sense, right? Like Mm -hmm. it, it it stands up to some logic. Now, as a practicing naturopath who sees lots of people just like you, you'll know that the number six class of drugs in the world is what? Proton pump inhibitors. Mm -hmm. Given to these, basically these same people for these same problems a lot of the time. So, you know, where we would give some extra betaine HCL, the medical doctor will often give proton pump inhibitor. Yeah. Betaine plus demulsants for the inflammation. Ideally. That would be the naturopathic way. So, and we did a whole episode, I think. Yeah, we talked about that. So, so, so why do we, why do we both arguably get pretty good clinical effects when we do what seems diametrically opposed interventions? They say, here's a proton pump inhibitor to stop making more acid. You have too much acid in your stomach. And we Mm -hmm. say, you don't have enough stomach acid. Here's some more stomach acid. And both approaches, which are seemingly opposite, 
will give you know clinical benefit now whether you could say one is better than the other i'm i have my own thoughts on that but they will give clinical benefit if you're if you're the patient in a lot of cases so i that was one thing that my head just wanted to explode trying to make sense of that i know mm-hmm. it's a hard one i have a theory I, on it too and I, we can I have, talk about I have, it after I have a- I have a theory too, but yeah. Okay, go. What's your theory? Well, I'll, I'll I mean, for, you. for, for, um, for me, one of us if, might be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, or both of us. Um, <laughs> well, I think Sorry, when you, listeners. when you, st- when you stop, <laughs> when you honestly, like the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know about the exactly. human body. Cause we're, we're anyways. Um, I think with the proton pump inhibitors, if you're not causing acid, you're not having anything further irritating the tissues. So then the, the, the patient has symptom relief. So they think that they've resolved the problem. That's that. However, if the inflammation is also because of poorly digested food and microbes and stuff like that, and your stomach is meant to kill off microbes and properly digest your food, that in turn will also lead to lessened symptom to, to, to a lessening of symptoms. If you actually support proper stomach function, the thing is, if there's inflammation, I would say as a good naturopath, you'd probably be using some things to put out the inflammation while also addressing proper stomach function. I personally, based on everything you and I've talked about when it comes to our proton pump inhibitor, uh, episode or gastritis episode, maybe this is my bias, but I think that our approach is going to be more long-term effective because mm-hmm. you're, you're going back to a heal the tissue rather than just stop acid production. You're actually doing things to, to resolve the inflammation, but then you're also trying to revitalize function to bring it back to an optimal state. And then I just feel like that has better consequences. Well, it, call me crazy. I, no, I, I won't. It's not about that. Maybe about other things. But yeah, that's part of your charm. <laughs> um, so, so I, yeah, like, and you can't say that um, having a having adequate or a lot of stomach acid is pathological. That's what I never understood about this. Like, if you said, "Give me one word to describe the stomach," I'd say acid. If I could only choose one, there's no yeah. other compartment like it. It's it's a weird kind of compartment. So if you you stop producing acid it's like telling wayne gretzky stop playing hockey or stop you know what could Connor david stop playing hockey you know don't do that do something else well really that's what they're really good at so i always struggled with that so I'll, i'll share my you know there's probably some overlap between what we're saying i look at the tissue the tissue and cellular level when i try to understand why a proton pump inhibitor may have similar kind of benefits to using exogenous betaine hcl as a, as a source of um, stomach acid. Here's what I think. When you put the acid in the stomach, the cells are sensing the, the and remember, we're only doing this when you eat. This is key. Mm-hmm. You, only, you only put the acid uh, tablets or capsules in when you eat. So when it's game time, mm-hmm. you don't put a whole bunch of stomach acid in when it's resting. No, thank you. Okay, exactly. So, um, <clears throat> so what you're doing is you're, you're addressing the whole organ problem of there's inadequate stomach acid for breakdown of foods. So it helps the organ and organism just functionally. What, why does it, why does it, and we'll talk about this when you get into the, the betaine HCL test where we sort of give ascending doses. So why after a period of time of taking some betaine HCL tablets, you have to take less and then you get a sort of warming or burning and then you get to take less and then you get a little warming or burning and you end up taking less. So why it's like the stomach re reboots or recoups. Why, 
is that happening? I think what's happening is the cells are getting a rest. That's my personal opinion. This is not, I don't see this mm. written anywhere. So I, maybe I'm out to lunch, but I don't think it's completely off. The cells are getting a rest because the stomach has its own, the stomach is an integrating center. It senses and reacts based on its contents and has like its own little brain kind of thing. Mm. So if the stomach cells sense that the pH is dropping adequately to digest the food properly, the parietal cells therefore get a bit of a break. Mm. They don't have to work as hard. And this is, I'm going to draw from the, um, the phenomenon of fasting, where what happens when cells are not metabolically required to do a lot of work? They can heal. They don't just sit there, smoke cigarettes and like watch TV, right? Yeah. They go, you know what? Let's clean house. Let's do autophagy. Let's like repair because we're not on the hook to do all this work. Yeah. It's sort of like your number one employee at work where like you don't have to watch them. They like, if there's no like fires to be put out, they still go and like they start filing stuff, cleaning stuff up, whatever. It's mm -hmm. kind of like the cells are like that. So that's my thinking of what's maybe going on with giving the acid. And what does that have in common with the proton pump inhibitor? The proton pump inhibitor tells the cells stop working. Mm. So it says, you know what? Like it biochemically, pharmacologically says stop making acid. What, what do they do? So the two uh, approaches have that in common where mm. these parietal cells actually get a break. Now, again, arguably, you'd say um, if your stomach can handle it, the former approach is better because then the stomach as a whole is digesting the food challenge better. Whereas when you take the proton pump inhibitor, the stomach still, you know, it's got the food in there. It needs to be acidic and now it's not going to be acidic. Yeah. And so it's not going to be good. Um, but at least the parietal cells get a break. And that's my rationale, mm -hmm. perhaps, okay. as to why they they both achieve the same sort of, um, you know, nice clinical outcomes sometimes, at least for the, to the, you know, symptom, the symptom improves. Yeah. Do we want to talk a little bit quickly about the tests? I mean, typically when it comes to assessing stomach function, I'll actually start with mine, the baking soda before I do the betaine. Do you want to talk about it? And, yeah. Do you mind if I just and yeah, then do that first with, with yours? Yeah. So I do a baking soda challenge and I'm not saying that this is diagnostic. I'm and not we're also saying don't, we're not, we're, we should be clear here too, Michelle. Like we're not saying, you know, everyone go and do this. Like this is not, go do this. like this is a podcast, you know, yes. this is, and this is a this podcast. Is not where, medical advice for you to just input into your life immediately. Yeah. And it's, it's what we're trying to do here is tell you what we do in practice so that, you know, some of the, um, some of the gangster stuff that we do. So, you know, what, what to do. If you got the guidance, then that's different. But like, you know, you need to know what we do in the walls of the clinic. That's the whole reason I started the podcast was so you know just what in, goes on. It's just information so that you need there's, to know. there's better information out there. So the baking soda challenges, I always kind of make it akin to when you were a child and you made a volcano and it was like vinegar plus baking soda. And then it like explodes because yeah. it's like acid plus base makes gas. That's basically yeah. it. Right. And yeah. this is just this is a very rudimentary, like I said, non-diagnostic way to just assess whether or not your baseline stomach acid levels are decent. And it doesn't necessarily mean when there's food in the stomach. So this is also why it's not necessarily functionally relevant. It's more just like baseline assessment because you do it while you're empty stomach first thing in the morning. So there's no food or anything in there. Don't play it down too much, Michelle. No, it, but I'm just saying like, 
it's 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 telling me about baseline status it's not necessarily telling me like what's happening when food is in the stomach so i just want to be clear about that um so i would tell people and i give them the instructions in clinic and there's a specific amount of baking soda in a few ounces of cold water and then Mm -hmm. i would have them take that first thing in the morning before coffee before other water before food and then you basically i tell my clients to time themselves for five minutes and write down when they have a proper burp not just like a little like you want to, you want like a Homer mm-hmm. Simpson kind of like a proper belch, proper burp. Mm-hmm. Um, and then repeat this test several mornings. It doesn't have to be in a row, but for several mornings, because you want an average. And I found people, sometimes they'll burp within five minutes. Sundays they burp within 30 seconds. Sundays the next day they'll, they won't burp for 10 minutes, but then they'll go back to within two minutes. Right. So the, the, the outlier is the 10 minutes. So that's not necessarily part of the overall pattern. And I usually have them do it a few times so we can see what the overall pattern is. Um, and if you're not burping by five minutes, then that could be an indication that your baseline stomach acid levels are not sufficient. Cool. You know, this is one I, I haven't, um, I haven't done a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. or at all. No, have even, I don't even know if I've done it, but mm-hmm. I'm, I am going to do it. And maybe I might talk to you about um, how you've yeah. done it in the past. Cause this is just another way in. And what I was going to do is I really want to support you in, in the uh, validity of this, although there's error possible yeah. with it um, based on like, uh, you know, does the, is the cardiac sphincter competent or, you know, are, are things rushing through the, uh, the pyloric sphincter, whatever you know, the Heidelberg test, I've tried to get that test. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a test where you swallow the capsule and it tells you the pH through a radio transmitter. It's badass. Oh, yeah. Can't get it. I tried. I've, if, if anyone knows how to get it, please talk to me. Um, anyway, what they do in the Heidelberg test, it's a, this is a test that you use in clinical studies, right? This is not like, mm-hmm. um, this is not no, it's like a proper test. Mm-hmm. So they do it. What they do, Michelle, is they, they get um, they get the capsule in there and get some baseline level pH. And then they put in a, a certain amount, some aliquot or whatever of uh, baking soda to see what, what the challenge is and uh, to the, to the stomach and, and what the outcome of that challenge is. So it's, it's totally legit, totally legit in theory. Yeah. And then if people are like, if, if I have people who are like routinely burping they're not burping after five minutes. They're like, I didn't burp at all. I went to work and I completely forgot about the test. And I was like, okay, <laughs> we might have some work to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and then obviously with signs and symptoms with a proper intake, this is not anything in isolation. So with me doing my due diligence with all these other moving parts, I'm con- it's another thing to help me put the pieces of the puzzle together. That's really what this test is. Cool. Helps me do. Okay. So I think now is a, Good time Mm -hmm. to jump into Mm -hmm. how we actually do the hydrochloric acid uh, uh, supplementation. And and I'm going to give you sort of the, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, this is from the textbook of natural medicine ebook by Prezorno um, uh, and Marie. And so I'll just kind of read through their directions and uh, then it's, then it's pretty succinct that way. And then I'll talk a little bit more uh, about some things that I see in clinic and how we sort of go about that. Okay, so so what we're doing here is a self-test to estimate the amount of uh, HCL that you need to reestablish adequate stomach acid. Again, the assumption here is that most people do not have enough stomach acid, which is contrary to what the conventional approach is. And that's okay if you can't get your head around it. I think a lot of us can't. 
Um, and the acid is critical to initiate digestion and protect the intestinal tract from pathogens. And I would argue it does a lot more, but that's enough for now. So what we do is we get you to take one capsule of hydrochloric acid with or without pepsin, usually about five or 600 milligrams. Okay. So then you take that at your next meal. So what I would say is you eat the food, then you have the pill and then you eat the food. Okay. It's, it's like the pill is sandwiched between the food. You do not take this pill at the very end. You do not take it without eating food, it must be surrounded by food. Okay. Cause what we're trying to do is only put stomach acid in when it's game time, right? We don't want stomach acid in when it's not game time. Okay. So if you did one capsule and you got some sort of burning discomfort or, you know, kind of bad symptom in any way, you stop the experiments over. You don't do any more. That's what I tell my patients. You're done. It's over. Come bring back the other 249 capsules. I'll refund you because it's not for you. And that could be the rare case where someone has something like Zollinger Ellison, where you have too much stomach acid, very rare, but probably more likely it's an issue of motility through the esophagus and the cardiac sphincter. And actually some of that acid is just staying too localized at the top and maybe coming back up hiatal hernia, some sort of symptom like, or a uh, situation like that. That's probably what's going on. So this is, you know, especially if someone's got hiatal hernia, be extra careful. It's not like you can't do it because like Michelle was saying, you can just use some of your grade nine chemistry. If you do get that symptom and it's, you know, it's painful and, and uh, you don't like it, take a quarter teaspoon of baking soda and some water. And that should, you know, accomplish your grade nine chemistry, which is to neutralize that acid. You continue to increase the dose the next day if everything goes well. So if say one, one capsule is fine and nothing bad happened, good job done for one, you next day move on at your next big meal. And I'm only doing this at dinner with most people because you want to do it at a bigger meal that probably contains protein, some fiber, maybe your best meal, maybe the, the meal that you're pretty solid with. Okay. You, you go up to two the next day and what happens? Nothing. That's fine. That's okay. At this point, we're looking for the absence of something bad happening. If the presence of something good happening is, you know, you're less farty, less bloaty, and everything's, you know, it's all good, then that's great. But really at this point, we're just looking for the absence of bad burning discomfort, whatever. What do we do the next day? Because that went well. We go to three and we do it again and we go to four and we do it again and we go to five. And you're like, what the hell is going on? I'm taking a lot of, I'm dropping a lot of acid here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you get up to maybe six, six is the max that I'll get my patients to do. And, and they go up to six. And if we are at six and we continue at six and we still get no signs of discomfort, burning, or some sort of like regurge or something, we know, Michelle, that that person has inadequate stomach acid. It's hey. like, yeah, we know that. So the job of the stomach acid test is sort of accomplished in one sense, because the idea is to assess first. And then we individualize treatment. So if you're up to six, you don't have enough stomach acid. We know that. And if you want to keep staying, keep taking six, don't do it for longer than a week or two is what I do with my patients now. I just sort of say, come down after that. We've, you know, job done kind of, we, we can, we can say you don't make enough stomach acid. So that is, that is what you do on the way up. Now, if you get up to five, and you start to get some sort of uh, tingling, burning, discomfort, whatever, you know that you've pushed it too far because we kind of have to go until it's too far to know how far to go. It's kind of like the magnesium test. Like you have to kind of take a lot of magnesium until you have a 
you know, a bit of a looser poop. And then you go down from that and you know, that's your magnesium dose. The same idea here. We sort of sort of go beyond the threshold and then you go minus one. So if it took five capsules for you to get the kind of burning, then we go down to four and we stay at four, 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 four with all your big meals. If you have a smaller meal, take less, use your brain. And then uh, say you get down to four after a week or two, it starts to uh, increase in terms of like the burning and, and discomfort or, or heartburn or whatever. That's because your stomach cells are getting back online and they're adding to the amount that you're adding to. So you're getting a net increase. So guess what you do? You go down by one and then you continue at three, 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 three. And then in theory, at some point you'll get to two and then you go down maybe to one and maybe you have to stay at one because it doesn't give you any burning and it just makes you digest better. But if you're taking a bunch of capsules, Hmm. it could be better to take it in parts through the meal, but always you have food first, then capsules, then food. That's really, really important. So what's going on is uh, I think your cells are sort of getting a, a break. They're getting a holiday. And like I said, they don't go smoke cigarettes and like drink booze and like watch TV. They sort of start repairing and cleaning up house. And I think that's, uh, I think that's the benefit to the cells and tissues um, while you get the benefit adequate stomach acid to break down the food because if you don't break down the food properly then uh nothing is going to be digested properly because if the if the stomach doesn't do its job and the liver gallbladder is you know in trouble and if the liver gallbladder is in trouble then the duodenum is in trouble and if the duodenum is in trouble the jejunum is in trouble because there is a basic sort of linearity to digestion in one sense if you don't start it right it will not end up right and uh yeah that's that's the basics of the of the test you kind of go up and then you drop down and drop down and drop down by one at a time does that make sense or did i did i miss anything there michelle no i think that was pretty comprehensive you 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 work up until when we say burning and stuff it's like stomach level behind your breastbone usually that's kind of you're going to feel like that that reef that heartburn ish type symptoms um but yeah, I think that was pretty good. And then, and and then, then you find your, and then you find your dose and you just kind of stay mm-hmm. on that until you don't need it anymore. And then you drop and drop. And, you know, it's funny because we've always been told that it helps re-stimulate stomach acid function. It, it's almost like a, a, rather than a negative feedback, it's almost like a positive feedback. That's how it was articulated to us. But I don't, for some reason, I don't think anyone ever described why. And I think no. your yeah, exact, and I think your kind of rationale around that m- might be a big part of it for sure. It might be, yeah. And you're, you know, and we didn't talk about this, but you, you just alluded to the positive feedback loop, which, you know, as your stomach increases in acidity, that is a positive. There's not that many positive feedback loops in the body. This is one where an increase in the acid or a decrease in pH, depending on how you look at things, actually is a stimulus to close that sphincter at the top of your stomach. So yes, uh, it seems counterintuitive, but more acid closes the stomach, which makes sense if you think of it um, uh, logically, because the esophagus and all the tissues above the stomach, uh, they need to be protected from the crazy intense acidity of the stomach. So the more acid it gets, it's going to go, okay, we got to tighten that up. Yeah. So that's why this can have uh, an influence on heartburn. It's it's counterintuitive that more acid will, uh, you you need to be validated if you're like, what the hell is going on? What the hell is Miller talking about? Because it's weird to think that more acid will give you less heartburn. It's true. 
because you think acid equals burn. So it doesn't exactly. intuitively make sense based on the, the names that we use, the titles these things have. But I've seen it clinically, folks. I've seen it clinically. Mm-hmm. Or giving bitters. And people were like, but I was told I need to take an acid suppressor. I was like, no, you need to stimulate your digestive function. Or I give them bitters or I give them, you know, or I give them mm-hmm. butane and or a digestive enzyme that has bile and betaine in it and some, you know what I mean? Like, and people are like, no, I actually feel better. And they're like, I don't see the food in my poops. I don't feel as bloated. I don't feel as heavy after I eat. And you know, it's so funny. You kept saying something. I had this thought while you were talking. You're like, you take it with your biggest meal. And the funny thing is, is that shouldn't all of our meals just be like relatively, you know, I just had this thought being like, why is it always the biggest meal? All of our meals should include protein. All of our meals should include good amounts of fiber. All of our meals should include some form of complex carbohydrate. All of our meals should include healthy fats. So there shouldn't ever just be like one astronomically big meal. Like all of our meals should be balanced and complete. And I just wanted to put that out there. But the thing is, most people don't go through their day that way. And that's why I said, and that's why, and that's why you have to distinctively say your biggest meal, because it has to have all your macros. But I, what I want to put out there for the, for the ether and for our listeners is that you should have all your macros being met at all your meals. Just a thought. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. And, and I, I think what it comes from the way, uh, is to limit, to limit, you know, uh, variables in the way you do it, uh, in terms of time and macros and stuff, but you know, the other thing is, uh, Michelle, which you've probably seen too, when you look at someone's uh, diet diary, I would say by, by far the averages people's best meal is dinner. dinner. And I, that's the Absolutely. one I, 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 I'm not, I'm not gonna say I never have to change it, but it's the one that is often subject to the least intervention because it's usually like, well, I eat some meat and veg and some carbs. I'm like, well, good. That would be nice for breakfast and maybe yeah. for lunch too. And, and, and people even know it. They're like, I think my best meal is my dinner. My my, yeah. my wife always makes sure I have some vegetables or the wife's like, we always have a salad and we always have, and, and people consciously put more effort into the dinner, but breakfast and lunch really get kicked to the curb and it's unfortunate. So, uh, but anyways, I just wanted to, just want to put that little disclaimer out there that all of your meals should actually be balanced. A plug of and logic I would, there. and I would actually, yeah. I would actually argue that your breakfast should be far way more balanced. <laughs> Just start your day off right. Like it should, you definitively need to have a balance. Where's me lucky charms? You know, yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. Hey, listen, there, here's something I I ran into with a patient, and I and again, it's one of those ones that my brain was just like, what do I do? Have you ever had a patient on proton pump inhibitors who you're like, I wonder if I should put them on mm-hmm. uh betaine HCL? I have many times, and I probably I I wussied out most of the time. And then I started thinking about, I'm like, wait, you can, if you're a clinician and you feel confident enough, you can do the betaine HCL test on someone who's taking proton pump inhibitors because both let's go back to my sort of train of thought with this, where it's like the proton pump, say you take your proton pump inhibitor in the morning, which is when most people take it. Mm -hmm. That's giving your cells a break from making a baseline level of acid throughout the day, which if it's not mealtime might actually be somewhat beneficial because they don't need, because the stomach acids need to be like crazy acidic between meals. That's very important. I mean, yeah. So then I thought, okay, someone's on a proton pump inhibitor. Am I going to give them betaine HCL? Well, not while, you know, between meals, but when it's game time, yes. So I have done this with people. It makes a lot of sense to say maybe they'll get uh, additional uh, synergistic benefit if they're on a proton pump inhibitor and it's giving them relief, you know, because there are some people, you've probably had this too, like 
some people will do quite well with a proton pump inhibitor. It's gotten them somewhere symptomatically and that's important. So then you're like, should I do this test? Yes. During game time, meal time, yes, you can give them more uh, stomach acid. And I, I, there is no problem with that. And there's even studies uh, using them together. So there's, there's no problem with that. I, I was very careful about it. And if you're a clinician, you can know that if you have someone on a proton pump inhibitor, it's probably okay to do game time acid so supplementation. There's studies on this? There's one at least I found. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And have you yeah. found it beneficial for those clients from a digestive it was, standpoint? It was still insightful. Because I've never done it because I've always felt reluctant to give it because it always felt counterintuitive to se- stop it acid does. production and then try to stim- or support. But you're right. Yes. It's not necessarily re-stimulating acid. It's just maybe supplementing in the interim. Um, and it's only okay. for game time. That's what's key here is it's yeah, only yeah, yeah. during game time. Yeah. And That's maybe key. even just for the dinner, because a lot of people also get more reflux at night. And so if you're helping them digest their food and have that movement through their system better then maybe even like less late nighttime reflux. Yes. But um, also just a little preface, um, like we already said, this is not something you need to run and go and do yourself. Um, and it's not something to do when you have ulcers. If you have known gastric ulcers or any kind of injury to the tissue, this is not your first step, right? So Emulsions. this is why working with uh, a qualified practitioner to help you understand what's the best first step, even if this is relevant to your overall case, it might be step five but it's not step one. So this is also why we don't want people to just go ahead and start doing these exactly. things um, because you might cause more problems depending what's actually happening under the hood. So be, we have to be smart about our approach. Even if it is naturopathic approach, we still need to be intelligent about how we approach the body with any kind of care. Yeah. So just wanted to All right. there. Cool. What do you think? I'm good. We yeah. Coo. We coo. I digested <laughs> that really well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad to get that one out because yeah. uh it, I hope it clarifies a little bit um for people who well we've we've struggled with the logic of of some lists for a long time so I hope that helps give some clarity and some instruction to people who are uh trying the uh stomach acid uh supplementation and they you know are like what am I doing is this right yeah it's it's hopefully clears things up at least a little bit voila okay enjoy thank you for listening <laughs>